0: From the Gettysburgian and ninety-one point one WZBT Gettysburg, I'm Ben Ponson and this is On Target.
1: I'm Carly McGowan. Stay with us, and the last piece of campus news with guest host and president Emeritus Nick the Alden.
0: Then we'll sit down with incoming student senate president Pat McKenna. Stay with us. All right, let's get into it. Uh, it's been quite a week. Pointed two weeks in news, so much so that we brought in our, you know, President Emeritus, Nicholas Arbaugh.
2: Brought in a ringer.
0: I don't know if I'd go that far.
2: Bring in the bullpen.
0: I will go that far. <laughs> uh, so, Nick, welcome to the On Target uh, hosting booth. Nice of you to join us.
2: There's a lack of refreshments, I'm pretty disappointed.
0: Well, uh, you'll just have to learn to live with that disappointment. It's one disappointment <laughs> after another here at WZBT and the Gettys Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so with that, oh, like God. I said, let's get into it. The uh, so last week, we're heading into finals. I think technically we're probably not allowed to be doing this right now because club meetings were supposed to end on Friday, but I've never followed that rule, so.
1: I think it's sometimes hard to consider the Gettys Virgin and on Target at club. This is just our job.
0: Don't tell Kathy Zarella that we're doing this.
1: Yeah. Um, the thing that I think is something that a lot of students are talking about is yesterday, um, during the poster presentation celebration, we as kids were coming out, they saw the new um named student center. Um so the extension of the college union building is now named the Janet Morgan Riggs Student Center. There's new signs up and People are coming out with t-shirts. I saw President Riggs herself with a t-shirt that... I don't know who gave her that shirt, but they gave her a shirt that was like two sizes too big for her. And I was like, why is this... For? But anyway, um, so they named, they named um, the new center after her. Uh, ben, what do you think about that?
0: Well, for one, only part of the cub has been renamed. Yeah. However... It's unclear where the JMR Center ends and the old cub begins.
1: I, really? I, I want to ask you that, because they, like, I saw on, like, so the college posted, like, on their website, like, a press release for it. And on there, they're naming things, like, they brought up the, uh, the new Senate offices, Osagle.
0: Yeah, that's all part of the JMR Center, I believe. But,
1: like, physically speaking, that's above new cub.
0: Well, I mean, old cub. Well, I'm s- sure
2: there'll be a pending court case about the jurisdiction.
0: Yeah, well, so another thing is that outside of the JMR Center, there's a sign that says what is within the JMR Center, and on that sign, it's the bookstore. So the bookstore certainly seems to be pretty far back into what we, you know, the building formerly and still possibly currently known as Cub. Uh, It's really just unclear to me where where the boundary is, and and perhaps we need some sort of a, I don't want to say a physical barrier, but some sort of line of demarcation. No, that's emphatically not what I'm <laughs> saying, but some sort of <laughs> demarcation <laughs> to denote where Thank the JMR center ends and the cub begins, because clearly it's an important issue. A line of blue tape on the floor. Yeah, I would like to have a sign that says, like, you are now leaving the JMR sector of this building, perhaps.
2: Why not just name the whole building?
0: It's the rest of the building. Right? The college union. It remains the College Union building. Yeah, I don't know. It was not like they renaming it. Well, yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of interesting that they only are naming the new part of it
2: after President Riggs. I, I never considered that building <laughs> to be more than one building.
0: Correct. Yeah, I don't know. The JMR Student Center in the College Union. I guess you can have a center in a building.
1: So bullet hole, like the, the dying center, that is part of the JMR.
2: Yes, yeah, she annexed it.
1: I like that's the part that's so confusing to me because like if anybody told me that there was like two parts to Cub, I'd be like, "There's Cub
2: and then more." Like, no. Yeah, it's just all Cub. I always thought it it's all, all of Yeah, clearly we need some more clarification, some better debate. signage. It's a on on target. Well, it's not. A, it's also not entirely clear to me why we're. You know, to your point, Nick, why not just rename the whole building? I mean, like. It used to it used to be the Soon Union building, like in the money funding. Is there a Sub. Big, is there a big donor named Mr. Collins or something? <laughs> or just call it. Or call it Mr. Collins.
0: Well perhaps this is a nice segue into our next topic.
2: Oh, which is God. the
0: renaming principles advisory group. Uh, made a report to the Board of Trustees this weekend. The board was here this weekend. The report uh gets into the principles that will govern Naming decision, renaming decisions, not naming decisions. So it's important to note that the naming of buildings, primary first
2: naming, is governed by other college policies. However, the renaming of buildings is what, um, is
0: considered by, considered under the guidelines in this policy. Uh, and so with that, The Board of Trustees has charged an ad hoc committee, uh, which should be the least surprising thing anyone has ever heard. (laughs) Uh, That's the Gettysburg College MO.
1: That's the way of Gettysburg.
0: There's an issue. There's an ad hoc committee. But in any case, um, this ad hoc committee will be chaired by Charlie Scott, who most recently chaired the presidential search. Uh, And that committee will use these guidelines to review the name of the Garthwaite
2: Leadership Center and determine where we go from here
0: um you know Nick what you're you're still possibly the student senate president is a little unclear uh when your term officially ends but as a once in future or once in former or
2: once in former I like once in former well as a senior college
0: poncho, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps they used to call
2: me El Pepe. oh
0: What's your take on the principles that the committee released yeah. that the trustees adopted?
2: You know, um, I'm not I'm not big on renaming things, but I, I would be partial to Nick Arval Student Leadership Center if that's the direction. They're going to go. Um, I'm guessing that's not the direction they're going. Well, to go. I'm just you know putting feelers out there. And stuff. I mean, I don't know. They're gonna. It's the college at the end of the day. They're gonna do whatever they want. So. I, I don't see the real use of the big documents. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but I mean, it's not a college, they're going to
0: they Well, yeah, it is worth noting, and I'll just read here the principles as they were outlined. Principle one is renaming, quote, renaming is an exceptional event, and the decision should be made only after careful and deliberate consideration. There is a strong presumption against renaming and in evaluating the information available, substantial weight shall be given in favor of continuity. The presumption against renaming is at its strongest when a building or program has been named for someone who has made major contributions to the college. Two, renaming should be strongly considered where the actions or words of a namesake directly conflict with the college's mission statement and the core values of the institution. In reviewing the matter, the actions or words should not be taken in isolation, They must be evaluated as part of a holistic approach that considers the historical context of the conduct and the individual's larger patterns of behavior and personal values. I think that last statement, larger patterns of behavior and personal values, seems like it's going to get the college an out if they don't want to rename the Garthwaite Leadership Center.
2: Thoughts? Yeah, and in the previous paragraph where it says it should be... the presumption against renaming is at its strongest when a building or a program has been named for someone who has made major contributions to the college. I mean I mean if I was a betting person, I would read into that and say that's probably indicating they're not gonna do anything with it. But I will stick with my point. They're gonna do whatever they want at the end of the day.
1: I, I also think that a lot of it comes from the fact that, you know, a lot of people are calling for them to rename this building and at the end of the day they need to put all their checks and balances out because the thing that I I think has been almost the theme, like, you know, Ben and I have talked a lot about, like, one of the themes has been talking about, diversity of this college, but I think the other one has been what did the administration will and will not do. And I think that for them going through this process of having an ad hoc committee talking about renaming is the farthest that they'll probably end up going. But if they didn't go this far, even if they're all functioning and do something that they're not going to rename, they need to do that. The thing that I find very interesting, though, is, like, okay, say this college goes on for, like, 200 years um at some point or another a lot of the names that we hear on campus i mean a lot of them are already like i don't know who paul i lived
2: in paul hall in my first year i don't know who paul is yeah i know paul's pretty good.
1: yeah like who's Stein? like you know like those kinds of things i think it doesn't mean that something happened but you know if there's somebody if you know we're seeing this with jmr like yeah the cub is not named after me. that's not weird. But like Say that every building is named. Like, say that Servo is now named after Regina because it will be at some point or another. I'm calling it right now. Um,
2: they renamed the Gettysburg.
1: <laughs> I'm shocked it already isn't. <laughs> um, but, like, at some point or another, everything that can be named will be named. Should we not rename something when someone is, is not tangible to us anymore? Um, you know, at some point or another, you know, Hanson might not mean anything to us. Maybe no one will care that that was the president.
0: Well, I mean, but I think the point of naming things is to memorialize, eternalize people's contributions to the college. And so, like, you know, naming something in honor of someone today, I don't think is really meant to be for the people of today. I think it's for the people of the future who will say, who is this Janet Morgan Riggs person? Uh, And
2: commentary. You want to get out here? You seem centered on on the code. Excuse me, the Janet Morgan race. Student
0: Center. <laughs> We're not sure. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, I think the point is that these—you uh, name something when you name something after someone. Yes, it's to honor that person in the present, but also, and I think the reason the college is considering the you know values and of the person and of the college is that you name things after people you think uh, reflect the values of the college as kind of this long-term enduring, you know, principle. For the co- or uh, principles for the college to be guided by you know
1: yeah but oh, go ahead yeah but then to your point if you're saying that it's not named for the people of today it's named for people later on then i think that if that's the point of naming something then that maybe they should rename the glc like because at the end of the day i i can tell you that 50 years from now or 60 years from now people aren't going to remember how much money he spent they're going to remember this the story that we were all circulating on earlier in the semester. I'm not saying whether or not what he did like I'm not we're not talking about the morals of him anymore. Anyway. We've been there, we've done that. But what's going to be remembered is not going to be his money, I promise you.
2: So I I'll, two things. One, I don't I don't know if we really have had a campus discussion about that, like a really balanced, reasonable campus discussion about that whole sort of fiasco. Because we did have sort of a community event. But I mean I went to that and and from what I took away from it, it was relatively one sided. I mean it was, it was there was a little bit of disagreement, but there was I don't think anybody sat up and said, Look, it's a you know and I'm not saying I agree with this, but you know, the counter argument to this is offensive and should be tolerated. Yeah, and I mean also there was a great deal of that conversation that did not directly have a lot to do with Blackworth. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know, I mean, yeah, there was uh, some racial issues brought up and stuff like that. But my, my second point is so did you something that you said earlier, Brian, mm-hmm. do you think that The committee is sort of, they're setting this up as a pressure valve, as a way to look. There is some pressure, which I'm not sure if they're right about, to rename the GLC. Like, I'm certain some people think that, but I don't know if it's a huge movement. At least I haven't seen evidence of one. Uh, So do you think they're saying, hey, there's there's a movement to rename it, let's get this committee, have them take out whatever passion they have in the debate, and then ultimately just keep it?
1: Absolutely. I think at one point or another, everything's about objects. You know, I don't think – I don't see the GLC meeting, frankly. I don't think that – I think that if, like, there was enough push within that committee for them to want that, I think that would have happened by now. I don't think, like, we would be waiting this long out. These people don't talk about Garthway. It's, like, very hushed now.
2: Well, yeah, and and talk about waiting. I mean, this is a college committee. We're talking about maybe a 10-, 15-year commitment here before (laughs) they produce anything.
3: No, but but seriously, though, I mean, like, another year of stewing,
2: none of the new – People that are going to come in all, all the first years, none of them are going to know two licks of the story. Yeah.
0: I mean the board is planning to make a decision within the next couple of weeks. It was announced. Itself. Oh, really? So you know, I wow. Lightning the, for them. Well, the board when it gets oh, its yeah, act the board, together. Oh, the board. This is not like a, a task force of college administrators. And I let me let me just say, yeah. I like college administrators as much as the I, next I, guy. I do too. I'll people I I'm just saying that they tend. In certain divisions, particularly, you know, I'm just going to go out there and say it. When college life wants to get something done, they get organized and they get something done, usually. The academic division takes a while to move. I'm,
2: I'm just more skeptical of the, the idea of committee structures for making some of these decisions. Like, You can have dialogue, you can consult with people, but I, I think you run into these situations where these things just go on. What
1: do you think would be better?
2: Um, one person... Probably the student senate president making all the decisions for everyone. All right,
0: let's let's uh, save that. Okay. Let's save that debate for another day and pivot back. I,
1: frankly, I think that <laughs> at some point or another, it needs to come down to like a very open number system, like a vote of every single person that they think has a say in it. Votes, yes or no. Yeses get it. Like I, I mean, whatever the majority. I
2: don't know. I, I I'm skeptical of. Things. That. But I will say, I, I,
1: think I don't think that this is going to do anything, and I don't think that people yep. are going to be happy either way. We no, have
0: trustees that. whose job it is to make these kinds of decisions. Yeah, I think, and I think, think that they it up to a few people. I'm saying that the trustees, frankly, I think, solicited. You know, they they formed their advisory group that recommended these principles, and then supposedly they accepted unanimously all of the recommendations. You know, and I think now it's in the trustee's court, and they're going to do what they want to do. I do want to circle back to the point we were discussing a minute ago, though, which is about the longevity of naming things. Gary, you started to mention that um, 60 years from now, people aren't going to know much about Bob Garthwaite other than maybe this event. Um, I mean, who knows? 60 years is a long time to suggest that that program will even exist considering it's only been around for 10 years. I mean, who knows what the face of leadership at Gettysburg College leadership programming will look like.
1: Or anywhere, frankly.
0: Well, yeah, I'm just saying, but... Who knows if we'll even all be. Who knows? That's a that's a real point. But where I was going with this was last fall, you know, the Gettysburg's editorial board took a position that the building in which we're recording this right now, Plank Gym, should be renamed after JMR. No, you're uh, right. And, and so there was at the time uh not I wouldn't really call it pushback but there were a few people who said well you know Eddie Plank is an important person in the college's history and he was an early alum he played in the major leagues uh baseball I believe I don't, about, sure. I don't know about that I don't know about that but he was a good he was a good pitcher and he did a lot of community work in the Gettysburg area and so we named Plank Gymnasium after him uh and I guess you know the question was well does that minimize his own contributions my thought at that time was that we were considering refashioning Plank gym into a global center not it would no it would cease to be a gym were it to be a gym. Eddie Plank seems like a perfectly uh, appropriate namesake for a gym or a recreational center or anything of that nature. But as we were talking about making this into a global center, a center of of you know engagement around all kinds of global issues. I still don't know what that means well. I think there was some, I don't think, I don't think donors knew what it meant either, and that's probably why they didn't donate to it, but if that's what we were trying to, if that's what we were trying to build, Janet Morgan Riggs, who has placed those issues at the center of her presidency, seems like a potential namesake for that and that's why to me it wasn't so much renaming as it would just be naming a new space that will occupy the same physical footprint as a space that has outlived its usefulness which is plank gym.
1: and i think that that's a very good point i think that um we should also talk about the fact that people should be named for things that make sense i understand that like you know like residents are gonna be like oh who is the great ra from like the 1930s and you're gonna name them i get that part but like I think that makes sense. Like academic buildings and like um you know, like gym's a great example of that. If it's an athletic complex, I know that um Breamhauser, what's the whole name of that?
0: Bream Gym is in the Hauser
2: complex. There's the Hauser field house, Bream yeah. Gym, and and if the you, Jager Center is yeah. the building, the encompassing building.
1: And if you go into the Bream Gym and you go into where all the athletic offices are, you see like in the stairwell, like almost like I guess bus in some form or another of these three men and they show like why they are named after like what they've done for Gettysburg College Athletics. That makes sense to me. I don't think it, I think more than anything, I think it does not make sense that like there are so many names on this campus and any college campus, frankly, where like, I don't, I, I know why some of the things were named the way they were because I've read up on college history because I've had to for like different assignments and things like that. Things like that. If you're a, chemistry major, and you've lived your entire four years in the lab, I don't think you're going to come out of Gettysburg maybe knowing who Hansen was. And I think that we should be thinking about it that way. Are we? Why are we naming it the Garthwaite Leadership Center? Why are we keeping it that way? How are we going to approach educating people on who Garthwaite was six years down the road? Um, are we going to tell the story? Are we going to bury that? I think that that's an important question.
0: Yeah and that is something that was addressed in these principles that were released. Um, they said one of the the third kind of principle was that you're going to need the college is going to need to consider, you know, does renaming this have the effect of erasing history or does keeping the name have the effect of erasing history? And so that's something that I think in the case of in the Garthwaite case will certainly mean something. You know, I think the point stands though, you know that a lot of the times the way that the way that philanthropy works these days is that you give large amounts of money and then things get named after yeah, you. it's
2: very transactional
0: yeah and 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 to some extent Gettysburg College is lagging behind peer institutions and how much money it's raising and so if it's going to continue to raise you know if it's ever going to catch up it's probably going to have to name things after rich people maybe some of whom have a Checkered past. And I don't know. Is that something we should? Should we say that, you know, we don't want, do we want to have some sort of purity test to accept your money and then name something after you? Do we want to take your money and then not name the thing after you, in which case there is a population of people who probably will cease to give their money? Or, you know, do we continue to put the names of, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to this is.
2: And I, I, but I think that this is the
0: exact ethical discussion.
2: Uh, you know, one in which reasonable people can disagree uh, is quite a large degree that we completely skipped over. I mean, I don't remember anyone really engaging mm-hmm. with these sorts of conversations or, or like, the moral, or like, wrestling with the morals over it. We completely, I mean, we had those two, two and a half weeks where it was a huge deal mm-hmm. and everybody was trying to figure out where everyone was, like, what side they were coming down on. And done. Boom. We buried it under the rug. You know, and there was the absolutely, I don't think there was any sort of discussion. of this. Season.
1: Not only that, but the discussion that we were having was not about anything fruitful. It was about how did you feel about the picture, which is fine. That is a conversation that, like, you know, that's something that I understand that people want to have. Um, but there was nothing about where do we go from here. Um, or at least when we have the campus conversation, a lot of it had to do with um, how we felt about this.
0: Oh, I yeah, mean, it was 100%
2: emotional.
1: Yeah, and that's, like, I get it. Emotions, I guess. I guess the... I think proximity. people have
0: to process their emotions a, before they process absolutely. kind of the intellectual arguments here.
1: Absolutely. But, but actually, I agree
0: with the point. I, sorry, I don't mean to cut you. Know, I just, I agree with Nick's point that I think we got done processing the emotions and then we were done.
1: Yeah, and I think that was very evident in when Dean Ramsey said, after Jordan Knox spoke, in what was a very interesting and fascinating point that she made, and but when Dean Ramsey ended without with, the perfect statement and th- that made us all say okay it's time to close the book we let and i guess for me what that read was a person of color was allowed to be angry for three seconds about it and that's what we're ending it Sorry, could you just, just yeah so jordan knox spoke we've talked about this on the podcast a little bit before and she said she was talking she's an uh, a black um woman on this campus that she's a sophomore and she spoke about um you know how she feels in this community and how she's been raised to be a certain way and to act a certain way and to dress a certain way, and how that isn't the case for white people. And how she was saying that if um, Garthwaite had done anything um, remotely like this and I'd been a black man, um, it would be a very different story. And how, like, we're treating Garthwaite like an individual, but we don't cheat marginalized communities that way, which was a fascinating point to bring up. It was a very emotional point, and I think she'll stand by that and she would agree with me she said it there that she was getting a little bit. Um, emotional about it but to end it that way to, for Dean Ramsey to end it and say that is the perfect statement and then we had um, a prayer from uh, uh, Dr. Largen um, the chaplain um, and then we moved on we didn't talk about it and that like, we did the same thing in the Gettysburg Virgin. we obviously like it's different for us because you know we're just reporting the news and that's all we can do and if there's no more conversation happening we can't you know make news come out of the air uh, as much oh, as
2: oh yes you can <laughs>
1: He can, meaning Ben. Um, but at the end of the day, when the conversation ended, it ended and there was nothing much for us to do, but ending it there and ending it saying, like, this wasn't handled correctly and then saying, that's the perfect thing to say. that How is that an ending? What does
2: that mean? Like, what does that mean, the perfect thing? is perfect for whom?
1: Exactly. I, for me, that literally just said, let me make sure that all the marginalized communities feel heard, but I'm doing nothing with this. And that's how this renaming group feels to me because... You know, they created a renaming group. Yeah, they had those meetings that they had on campus the one day where, where they made it very vague and they're like, This is not about any one issue, we we're just trying to figure it out. At the end of the day, no one on this campus who knows a lick of what happened with Garthwaite is dumb. It's about Garthwaite. Don't walk around saying that this isn't about Garthwaite and try to have a conversation that's not about it, because saying you you're talking about renaming or the naming of buildings and then talking about the Garthwaite is two very different stories. The naming the JMR Student Center and then taking the name off the Garthwaite Leadership Center is two very, very different situations, and you cannot treat them the same way. And not having that campus, and then when you're having those uh, conversations with these rena- with this renaming group, and you're not letting people just openly, you know, just say this is about the Garthwaite Leadership Center. What do you feel about it? Nothing for is going to come out of that, and now you don't know what how the campus actually feels about.
0: Yeah, a couple of things about that. One, I was honestly a little surprised that the trustees explicitly said in these renaming principles that these principles are only about renaming things that are already named. I think, you know, to the point we mentioned earlier, there is a discussion to be had about naming And about after whom we should name things. And I would note that the advisory group was called the naming principles advisory group, I believe, and not the renaming principles Mm -hmm. advisory group. So I think there's a distinction there that to some extent has been lost or perhaps a distinction that's been created. I don't know, depending how you look at it. Uh, To the other point, certainly you're 100 percent right that now that we have these naming principles or renaming principles, rather, they are going to be filtered through the garthwaite situation and it is going to look like they were contrived to get to whatever outcome the trustees wanted anyway on the garthwaite matter and so you can say that these principles were developed in the abstract uh and and now are being kind of neutrally applied to the garthwaite situation but you know there's it's it's difficult to imagine no matter how objective the trustees were trying to be when they were th- Coming up with these principles, that they weren't thinking about their own colleague, their longtime trustee, longtime beneficiary or uh, benefactor to the college, very Bob Garthwaite,
2: very notable trustee. Mm-hmm. I mean, like uh, everybody knows.
0: Yeah, and so you know, I, I, it's it's one of those things where in three weeks we'll hear, or however many weeks we'll hear what they decide to do, um, but. Either either way they go, it's gonna look like a contrived outcome. They could say, you know, we we decided to to take take the name off the GLC, and there will be a population that says whatever they're you know, that you created these principles so you could take him down, and they'll look right to the language about how, you know, I mean, I think those two statements I read earlier could very easily be construed as contradictory mm-hmm. oh, yeah. to one another. Oh, yeah. The first one says there's a strong presumption against renaming things. And that presumption is strongest when the person has given a lot of money, i.e. Bob Garthwaite. Mm-hmm. The second principle is it should be strongly con- renaming should be strongly considered when a namesake's actions or words directly conflict with the values or of the college or the mission statement of the college. And there are a great number of people who would say that Bob Garthwaite's actions, maybe not his words, but his actions certainly did that. And so... These principles, I don't know what, you know, after those two things, you just have a balancing test and whichever way they decide to come down on, it's going to look like they're tipping the scales because these principles don't actually seem to really get to the heart of why we name things after people in the first place. Either the conversation we need to have, I think, is are we going to name things after people because they give us money and that's really the end of it? And yeah, if it comes out that we have something named after a person who turns out to be demonstrably horrible then we'll consider taking down that name. Sure. I guess that's an option. Or are we going to say that we're going to name things after people whose values reflect our college's values, people like, I think right now an example would be President Riggs, who we're going to name this building after her. To my knowledge, President Riggs has not donated a ton of money to the college. I mean, I was a
1: lot of time and effort. Well, she's been
0: compensated. It. She's donate. been compensated yeah, yeah, for that. Fine, now, sure. I'm sure. She's
1: worked very hard for this college. As a college alumna, she's
0: yeah. rewarded very well. I'm sure she's given to this college financially as well. But, I mean, I think that the reason that we named the, the, the. We now have the Janet Morgan Riggs Student Center has nothing to do with the money, or little to do with the money that she gave. Oh, but I doubt that. has yeah. very much to do with her values of the college. On the other hand, Bob Garthwaite gave a million dollar. Check to start the Garthwaite Leadership Center. And, you know, I think whether people, you know, whether depending, I don't know what his values are or whether they were considered, I'm sure that we paid lip service to them. But I think that if we were naming a leadership center after any person in the history of the college whose values we thought had something to do with leadership and Bob Garthwaite had not donated a million dollars, we would not have named it the Garthwaite Leadership Center. We would have named it the Nick Arbel.
1: Okay. No, but I agree. All jokes aside, I agree with your point, Ben. I think there's so many people like that. I could see the leadership center being named after for leadership. You know, there's, we got presidents, we have professors that we speak very highly about. We have administrators that we speak very highly about. We have so many history books that we have about the college that you can just look through and point a finger and you'll find someone that was an exemplary leader at this college. Fine. Let's put Nick in the mix just for his own sake. But like that, that is a point to bring up. Is that um, what are we saying about a college like us that is supposed to values people's character so highly that it's the do- it's the number next to your name that is what matters at the end of the day. No matter how much you do, like I'm using Nick as an example because he's next to me. But you know, he will have left here being president of students and whatever. If he, you know, goes on and whatever he does with his life, if he ends up like offering internships and job shadows to students if he comes back and he's giving advice to kids about leading college but he has not had the price tag next to his name to donate money is is he and someone else who was frankly like you know a frat bro drank a lot but got rich and donates money is he really that much better like why why would we name it after that guy and not Nick? again other- i'm not i'm i just want to say i'm not um saying that we should have the arbor leadership center i don't want that
0: It seems like a test, endorsement. On the other – (laughs) well, to circle back to that point, though, on the other hand, the college is a business. The college needs money to run, and the way that philanthropy works in this day and age is that people give large amounts of money and things get named after them. And I just wish the conversation we were having on campus was about these two competing principles as opposed to, you know, are we offended by this picture – we can have that conversation. There's a time for that conversation. We have we never conversation. We never moved on to the next mm-hmm. conversation. We did, there was one day of listening sessions on campus about renaming principals or maybe naming principals. It was never quite clear. We got a document from the Board of Trustees about renaming principals, not about naming principals, which are supposedly governed elsewhere in college policy. Mm-hmm. And now here we are.
1: It would have been so easy to just, you know, 25 live Mara auditorium for an hour. Put everyone in a room and say, let's talk about whether or not we want to rename the corporate
2: leadership center.
1: And that's what we're going to talk about.
2: But I will say, and like I'm 100% behind it, I think it would be a great idea. It would be a great conversation to have and one that we didn't have. I think if we did that tomorrow, it would go poorly. I don't think, and you know, maybe this is just my perspective, that doesn't seem like the sort of conversation people are able to have reasonably. I mean, I remember like when I gave my speech to Senate, Event, I gave it in reaction to just the, the utter vitriol. People were flinging, and we were just at the emotional side. We were just deciding if we were offended by the picture or not, and how we would, you know, handle people who disagreed with us on that. Point. And it was terrible. It was terrible. People were alienated from their friends, like they were giving each other all kinds of stuff on Facebook, mm-hmm. on social media. I mean, it was a war zone. I don't know if, and you know, again, it's not like I can have any evidence to back this up. I just don't know if that conversation would play out in the sort of mature, intelligent, respectful way that it would need to.
0: It would need to be strongly facilitated, I think, for it to go well, and and we'd have to and and I don't know that reserving Mara Auditorium and having an open mic is the best way to have that conversation. I think there's a strong case to be made that that conversation could be better held in facilitated smaller focus groups of some sort or you know, in in offering people the chance to submit written feedback, probably not at this point in the semester or even at the point in the semester when the feedback was submitted in late, uh, solicited in late April. That's not usually a good time to get people in their best intellectual headspace to think through these sorts of thorny issues. But I mean, there are a number of formats in which this conversation could have happened, and yet it doesn't seem like it did. And now we're going to kind of come out of it as if we've had it and maybe we'll do some patting ourselves on the back that we've had it. But if there's one theme for me that has emerged from this academic year, it is that we are way better about we are way better at talking about talking about things than we are at talking about things and that we have lost kind of, or we maybe we never had it. We don't seem to have the capacity to engage in the type of dialogue that we say we want to at a liberal arts college.
1: Hey, Editing Ben, uh, I want you to link up every single time Ben has said that we're much better at talking about talking about things than actually talking about things. Thanks.
0: I'll stop saying it when it stops being true. Amen. All right, I think that's about going to wrap up our news segment. We'll be right back with The Bullet Report, followed by my interview with Pat McKenna. It's time for the bullet report. Spring sports action has finally reached a conclusion at Gettysburg College. On April the 23rd, the women's tennis team lost to Johns Hopkins, 9-0. The women's softball team lost to Franklin and Marshall, 4-3. The men's tennis team defeated McDaniel, 8-1. On the 24th, the women's lacrosse team defeated McDaniel, 22-4. The men defeated McDaniel, 17-5, all on the 24th. On the 26th, the men's golf team finished first of seven to win the Centennial Conference title. The men's... Uh, baseball team had a game rained out against McDaniel that same day. The softball team defeated Washington College of Maryland 3-2 on the 27th. The men's lacrosse team defeated Washington 12-8. And the softball team defeated Washington 4-2, all on the 27th. The women's tennis team defeated her 6-3 on the 27th. The men's tennis team lost to Haverford 8-1. On senior day, the men's baseball team lost to Muhlenberg 9-8. The women's golf team also won the Centennial Conference Championship on the 27th. The women's lacrosse team defeated Washington College of Maryland 16-13, also on the 27th, and the baseball team in the second part of their doubleheader on senior day one, 7-6. The baseball team lost 5-2 to McDaniel on April the 28th. The softball team lost 7-6 to Haverford the same day. The men's baseball team defeated Juniata 8-4 on the 29th. The women's tennis team defeated Franklin and Marshall 5-4 on the 30th. On May the 1st, the men's lacrosse team defeated Dickens at 15-13. The men's and women's track and field teams participated in the Centennial Conference Championships but did not receive team scores. The women's tennis team lost to Johns Hopkins 5-0 on the 4th. The men's lacrosse team lost eight—excuse me—lost 10-8 to Ursinus in the Centennial Conference Semifinals. The women's lacrosse team defeated Washington College of Maryland 17-8 and then won the Centennial Conference Championship over number 4, Franklin and Marshall, 16-6. Thus ended. The board report be right back with Pat McKenna. And we're thrilled to be joined today by the president-elect, or are you officially president now of the Gettysburg College Student Senate, junior Pat McKenna?
3: Well, it's a little, oh, thanks for having me, first of all. <laughs> Still a little unclear <laughs> if I'm the president-elect or the actual president of the Senate right now. You've I, been sworn in. I've been sworn in, so I believe that even though we have no more meetings, I am the current president, not the president-elect. Okay, well, you stumbled through that oath
0: of office. I uh, was watching a live stream, and you really seemed to be struggling about the our right to self-government line at the end.
3: Well, I think <laughs> that— uh, any time where you don't have the oath in front of you, and it's six people, and we uh, we're not necessarily or everyone was not necessarily prepared to be taking an oath, I think that uh, sometimes it gets a little gets a little uh, stumbly.
0: Eh, well, it happens. Well, now that you've stumbled through your first act of the presidency, <laughs> why don't we talk a little bit about? Now that you've stumbled through your first act of the presidency, why don't we talk a little bit about where you're planning to go from here? Maybe just in broad terms, if you want to outline a few of your maybe principal agenda items, then we can dig into each of them a little bit more.
3: Absolutely. So uh, in the forums that were hosted by the Gettysburgian, and thank you again for doing that. We always appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Um Uh, one of the consistent themes that came up was uh, how each candidate is going to uh, kind of embody Senate's slogan of Senate works for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that that is then indicative of kind of my broad agenda for next year, which, of course, is still being fleshed out. Um, But so the kind of general theme is to make Senate work for you. And there are kind of two main pillars that I want to see um, to have Senate work for you. And that's going to be for the student senate to improve its presence on campus and increase its access for all students.
0: Okay, uh, what exactly does improving its presence on campus entail? Uh,
3: so last week we had a senate barbecue uh, where senate sponsored um, you know just an event with um, some free food. We had tables to get to for people to hear what senate does and kind of what it's about for its specific committees. I would like to see Senate continue to kind of sponsor some more um, more visible campus events because we do fund uh, quite a few, most of the student events on campus, but I think that that is not always uh, obvious or evident to everyone involved. So, you know, maybe something like the club fair in the fall where maybe Senate can cater some more barbecue food or something mm-hmm. just to kind of increase our presence in that respect. Um, so And I would also like to see the Senate um, move towards maybe co-sponsoring events with some other organizations. like So we have some already existing kind of co-sponsorship things. Um, and I, like, the, While the Senate funds a lot of co-sponsored events, there are not necessarily a lot of senators that go to these events. And I would like to see um, exec as well as some more senators um, be going to some more of the events that we sponsor and have so that really improve our presence there.
0: And maybe that's a nice transition into the second part of that about improving access to Senate. But do you think that the Senate as a whole right now is sufficiently representative of campus with, res- I mean, you talk about a lot of these events senators aren't going to. Should there, I mean, ideally, wouldn't Senate have members who are pretty much in every circle of campus?
3: Ideally, yes. Um, and I think that that's something that we constantly uh, try to improve upon. Uh, definitely something that we're going to hit the ground run- running with in the fall is making sure that we're involved in first year orientation um, uh, to make sure that people understand that Senate is a venue um, for student governance and we want people from all parts of campus and different parts of campus to be involved. Um, There are also four open senator slots in the fall, two um, full year positions for the senior class as well as two fall positions in the junior class and I'm really going to be reaching out to a lot of uh, different groups on campus to try to make sure that we can embody a representative slice of campus.
0: And then talk a little bit in more general terms about what improving access to Senate looks like.
3: Sure. Um, so I think that where Senate has kind of lagged rather than led has been um, in, the, in response to some of these kind of diverse diversity, equity, and inclusion issues on campus. Um, exec has resisted in the past uh, doing the IDI test and some implicit bias training.
0: So the IDI for folks listening home is the Intercultural Development Inventory.
3: Yeah, and uh, so I think we're going to have all of exec do, I'm going to mandate all of exec do that, um, as well as our committee chairs when they are chosen. Um, I think that that's in response to some concerns that people have raised, um, especially in the budget management committee or the BMC, um, that there are microaggressions that occur. And I think that the least that we can do is to have um, the IDI test, as well as um, working with student rights and responsibility, or perhaps the the women's and LGBTQ center um, to kind of work on some sort of training. And that's definitely something we're going to be fleshing out over the summer a little more, but definitely having uh, exec and the committee chairs do stuff like that.
0: You've been involved in BMC before. I don't know if you were this semester, Um, but in your time in BMC, do you see these microaggressions that people are talking about?
3: So I've not been to a BMC meeting since my freshman year. So it's been a few years. Um, So I have not um, really been involved in it this past year. I was the chair of the, uh, Apo- academic committee, academic affairs committee. So, uh, I've not been involved, unfortunately, um, in that respect with the budget. Um, did I, you
0: see those issues when you were on BMC your freshman year?
3: My freshman year, uh, I I did not see those issues then, um, and I had not heard a lot of concerns in in my freshman year, but I've heard recurring concerns since then, and so that's obviously something that when there are lots of people on campus talking about that, that's an issue that we as a Senate, as a representative body, theoretically, we need to take seriously. Um, So I think that we're going to try to formalize a little more the process of application for committee chairs. And so kind of just a general theme, all of our committees are open to all students on campus. You don't have to be a senator or a club rep or someone that comes to campus. The sole exception to this is the Budget Management Committee, which just because um, it's sometimes difficult if you know you had 40 people show up to a meeting, theoretically. um, So that the Budget Management Committee is capped at eight members. I would love to see, um, once that committee chair is um, selected... Um, I would love to have some sort of interview process for members of the BMC so we can really formalize who's going to be a voting member and perhaps we can uh, have some sort of accountability in the BMC next year.
0: What do you think, uh, you know, I, I, with the BMC in particular, I think that there's part of part of you know, what's at the heart of this is that the BMC has a budget to manage and that you can't give all the money that everyone wants to everyone every time. How do you go about striking the balance between that and then also making people feel like they have access to that committee?
3: Absolutely. That's a great question. And I think that what that really comes down to is how Senate views its um, managing of this 90000 or so dollars that we have every year. Um, that is money that is given to the Senate. Um, and I think that Senate's role is to be a facilitator in bringing that money to student organizations rather than have it have Senate be a gatekeeper and really be like very uh, exclusively in control of this money It's for the students. And uh, we really are supposed to be a facilitator and just ensuring that we reasonably spend our money rather than have it, have us be a gatekeeper that people feel like they need to come and fight in the BMC for money. That's not what it's supposed to be about. It's really supposed to be about, we, they are coming, we are helping, being like actively assisting clubs. I think that, I mean, so we talk about our constitution. It's 27 pages long it is not a reasonable expectation that most people are going to read this thing. I, I understand that. Um, so, and I think that we need to come up with some like reasonable points um, in the constitution, say he's a some quick facts about the constitution, especially with the budget process. And I would love to um, work with the current, with the new treasurer and the new exec to kind of come up with that. And one of the most important pieces is going to be perhaps creating like a one pager of, Hey, here's what's in the constitution about, the budgets because we have some constitutional constraints on what we can fund and what we cannot fund. And I think a lot of the times that can kind of be confusing. Um, and it seems that Senate can be unreasonable in, um, what the BMC says no to. I think if, if we have kind of just a one pager saying, Hey, here's what's in the constitution. We cannot fund this coming up. I think that'll be a really helpful way to increase transparency in the BMC. And then also, um, uh, yeah, and we're going to try to do that with other parts of the Constitution as well.
0: Well, I mean, in terms of being a gatekeeper versus a facilitator, I think it was two years ago that perhaps the facilitator model took over a little bit and Senate ended up overspending its allotted budget and, and dipping into the rollover budget. Is that something that you're willing to do if you think that there are events that warrant it?
3: So I think that our goal should be as a Senate to spend Almost all of our money. So spend, you know, in the eighty-five to ninety-thousand-dollar range. The rollover is there, um, and this is this is pretty rare around campus that we have a rollover budget. Just in general, that's not something that's typical. Um, the rollover budget should be there if there's a great event at the end of the year that we maybe have to dip into it. I do not want to make it something that we are going to just say actively. I want to dip into the rollover. That's not what it is. Um, we have a healthy chunk of money in the rollover right now. Um, to ensure kind of our financial stability. I do not want to see us dipping into the rollover unless we really have to.
0: I wanted to ask about Nick Arbaugh's current proposal to create a bit of a Senate endowment fund. Um, and I know that's something that you and he have talked about Um and and just to recap, if folks are not aware of this, it would essentially be a plan to create an ongoing endowment of Senate funding using some money, I think, from the rollover account, maybe any leftover money from the current budget, and then also potentially doing some fundraising to support student leadership endeavors. There would be a Janet Morgan Riggs Award given out um, each year, and it would also create some funding that would be available, I think, for students to attend, maybe conferences beyond the limit of what Senate can regularly fund. Talk a little bit about your thoughts on that proposal and kind of where you see that going in the coming year.
3: Sure. Um, so with regards to the Senate endowment, this was something that I was approached about uh, just a few days before it was brought up to the uh, Senate floor by uh, Nick and, and John Allen, our uh, Senate advisor. Um, and I think it's a really interesting idea. Um, obviously, we have this we have this rollover fund and there's Roughly thirty-five to forty thousand dollars in this fund, and so there's it's obviously a ton of money sitting there. And while our goal is to never overspend, um, we also want to be able to, and if it becomes necessary that we need to dip into a thousand dollars or so in the rollover, we want that to be there. Um, so, in my mind. Um, $40,000 is probably a bit too high in that sense of what we should have in a rollover account. Um, and that's the current balance. That's the current balance, to, to the best of my knowledge. Um, and so we need to do something with this money. Um, that does not involve recklessly overspending, of course. Um, so I think the endowment's a really interesting idea how to s- use about half of that money. Um, I think the uh, proposed initial investment is around $20,000 of that endowment fund. Um I think that that's something we're going to continue to have conversations about with the administration. I know we have um, some meetings set up next week during finals week to talk a little more about it, um, if it's logistically possible. Um, And there are a lot of inner workings with the college that come with an endowment, very specific rules and stuff in the financial aid office, not the financial aid, but just the financial office of the college. Um, And I'm not privy to a lot of what those rules and regulations are, um, especially when it comes to investing money and taking you know, um, uh, money out of an endowment. Um, so I think that I'm going to be privy to that, those rules after next week, I would say. Right. So, um, I, I do like the proposal. I think it's, um, it's the only proposal I've heard to actively use some money in the rollover in a constructive way to, um, help a lot of students. And at the end of the day, that's what it's about is about trying to reach uh, more students, uh, help students out. So I think that in that respect, it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, And just to kind of touch on um, something you mentioned earlier with uh, funding students beyond what Senate can. Uh, So right now, when it comes to conferences, there's a cap of spending $275 of Senate money per student that goes on a conference. Um, I think there's a clause that then says, except for in exceptional circumstances. Um, And so really, that was done in response to some of the overspending that happened my freshman year. Um, And so... I was never a fan of, uh, and as the parliamentarian, I helped write these rules, but I was never a fan of the $275 cap. Uh, I thought it should be higher. Um, I think that some conferences are really worthwhile. And so if this endowment fund could help send people, you know, maybe it's one person that gets um, a really exciting conference opportunity. They don't have the means to pay, to fly out to, I don't know, Salt Lake City or Denver, Chicago, wh- whatever it might be, and their department doesn't have any money to give them, why are you denying that opportunity to students because of some arbitrary $275 cap? Um, so in that respect, I, I like the endowment a lot. Um, so, so, yeah, it's definitely a really intriguing idea and definitely something we're going to be having a lot more conversations about for if it happens, um, how we would pick winners, how students would know about it, how we can make sure it reaches all parts of campus, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely an an intriguing part that we're going to, an intriguing idea, I should say, that we're going to have a lot more conversation about over the coming year.
0: Shifting gears a little bit to the Constitution that you, you mentioned, you were previously the chair of the Senate Policy Committee at the same time as you were parliamentarian last year. This year, Abby Hauer, who was the parliamentarian, seemed like every week had a new constitutional amendment. Are there still things in the Constitution that you think need to be revised and amended, or is it at a place now where, you know, it's a stable document that people can trust will be the same today as it is tomorrow?
3: Sure. Um, So when I came in um, to and joined the Student Senate during my first semester um, of college, It was a extremely, extremely unwieldy document. And I think it's kind of useful to kind of give this history here Mm -hmm. um, that so when we came in and when I came in, kind of the whole agenda of the Student Senate was going to be a year overhaul of the Constitution. It was this really unwieldy document. There were like eight different font sizes. It was it was just an unworkable document that didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And so essentially kind of what I saw during my first year was that we collated the document it was all in the same font size, and that was great uh, in a way, I guess. But there were still a lot of pieces that didn't make a lot of sense. And so during my sophomore year, we wrote, uh, we rewrote some large chunks of it, um, wh- whether that be with voting procedure or committee structure, stuff like that. And I think that that provided some really good basis to where we are today. And then um, while we had kind of some really good ideas sophomore year, this year when those ideas actually had to go into effect, it was really helpful for Abby as parliamentarian to really – um, be a role to clear up some of those things that we thought were going to make a lot of sense sophomore year. And then on the ground, implementation-wise, to have um, some details ironed out, I think that was super helpful. Um, I'm pretty happy with the Constitution as it is right now. I think there are obviously going to be some more tweaks that we have to make uh, as it is. Um, but right now, I don't ha- see some sort of like major agenda item that we need to be changing in the Constitution.
0: One uh, recollection I have from the your term as parliamentarian was a meeting at which a constitutional amendment was on the table, and you had sent it out before the meeting, and you got up in front of the group and asked if there were any questions, and, and someone asked, could you give a Reader's Digest version of, of what this amendment was, as clearly they hadn't read it, and it became rather apparent that a lot of people had not read it. Do you get the sense that, let me ask that a little differently. Do you think that senators by and large are taking
3: their jobs seriously enough? Um, I think that this year, I've been really pleased to see this year um, how seriously a lot of people are taking their jobs. Um, In the past, we had not had active committee meetings week by week. We had not had good attendance at them. And this year, especially among the younger um, classes, like the the freshman and sophomore class, I have been incredibly happy to see how energetic and engaged everyone has been. Um, And even in my my class, we've had a lot of people just going to meetings. And so I think that uh, that was a different Senate uh, than where we are now. And I think that right now, uh, people are taking their jobs seriously. Obviously, we can always uh, strive to to grow and improve, especially among Um, reaching out to more people on campus as in in your capacity of a senator to try and represent more of the student body. I think we need to do more of that um, to like talk to more people during the week about, hey, I'm I'm the senator for the class of 2020, 2021, et cetera. What would you like to see uh, me do? What do you think of this agenda issue? In that sense, I think we can always be improving. uh, But from the committee sense, reading documents sense, uh, I think that we are, absolutely have improved from two years ago.
0: Something you mentioned earlier is that there are two open seats for the class of 2020, and there are also two open seats for the class of 2021 in the fall semester. Why do you think it is that Senate continues, it seems, year after year to struggle to fill senator seats in the junior and sen- particularly in the senior classes?
3: Uh, sure, that's a that's a great question. Um, in the junior class, that's a structural issue with the Senate. Um and just to kind of give some clarification as to what I mean by that is uh, when, when you run for a Senate position, you are expected to hold that position for the entire year. Uh, same with exec. Um, as I'm sure everyone has heard um, from the statistics that the school offers, we have a really high percentage of people that study abroad for a full semester. That is 60% plus of the student body. Right. So junior year, one of the re- the real big structural issues we face is that A lot of the times, so by and large, we can't have any juniors um, serve on on the executive board because simply more than half of that grade is going to be abroad. And oftentimes, we do see a lot of senators going abroad. And so the way that mechanism works is that we have, so rather than a full year election, we've allowed for... In the junior year, you can run for either the fall or the spring or for both, but there are two separate elections for that. So in the spring, we're fine because a lot of the people that we've seen involved in Senate are coming back and being engaged. Um, In the fall, it's just the fall is a really popular semester to go abroad. And so it's really hard to get people to be there for just the fall. Um, And again, that's a structural thing. I am very happy that people are going abroad. I think it's a really important part of your Gettysburg experience, and I'm never going to try to. Tell anybody they shouldn't go abroad to be involved in Senate. Obviously, we're going to try to uh, get some more people uh, involved in that in, in the fall for the junior class. But as for the senior class, I think that uh, that's an issue that's that we're not going to be seeing after my year. To be honest with you, I think that a lot of the changes that we've made, um, trying to engage younger classes more, having a committee system that works. Um, Actually being more than just a piggy bank I think that we've seen a lot of energy and engagement In people in the current uh, Freshman and sophomore class and I think that's fantastic Um, but then our year When we kind of came into Senate, it really was a Dysfunctional organization, so a lot of People kind of shied away from being involved Um, so You know, it is what it is in the fall Um, we're going to be sending out an Application process, um, probably Late over the summer, um, maybe When when we get right back to campus But that's going to be something, um where I'm going to ask for people to apply for these positions. Um, and then we'll make some decisions as an executive board in the fall.
0: Right. And it's not just Senate. I mean, the senior class, as I understand it, or the rising senior class has exactly zero uh, class officers for the fall. Are the, is that in Senate's purview to, to remedy or, or how, what's the process for that moving forward?
3: Um, so the, the, then this is kind of a, a weird esoteric thing, but the, the, your senators and your class officers are just different people. It doesn't make a ton of sense in my mind that it works like this, but basically, um, your class officers are kind of in charge of, you know, there's not really a ton you do your first year, your sophomore year. There's a couple fundraising things you do in your junior year. And then senior year, there's a bunch of work where you have to do things like set up the senior toast that was last night and a hundred days, um, banquet. Also, all, there's a bunch of stuff involved with that. Um, and it, it's kind of funky because then it, it's just a, it is a strange system in my mind that it's just kind of separate issues from the student Senate and the class officers. I would like to see um, those kind of duties kind of uh, go into one. You know, there are, there's supposed to be four class officers. There are also four senators per class. I would like to see uh, some more engagement between the class officers and the senators, or even maybe some more of the senators absorbing some of the roles of those class officers, uh, just because, um, so then you kind of know who your senators slash class officers are. If you have a grievance or something, it's not kind of like people, you're not really sure who they are. You know, they're going to be meeting every Monday night in Cub 260 at seven o'clock. You can come and talk about those kind of things. Um, so just to kind of increase accountability in that respect. But, um, I guess we're going to have to be running, uh, the, the application process will be out for uh, anybody to apply for senior positions as well, and uh, we'll just fill those as we can.
0: Are you suggesting that in an ideal situation, the four class senators would be the same four people as the four class officers?
3: In my mind, that makes a lot of sense, um, obviously, but as you just alluded to, especially among the senior class in years past, it's been really difficult to get people involved just because maybe it's their senior year and they don't want to do it. And so obviously I want to be mindful of the fact that I don't want to be burdening people with too much responsibility, especially in the senior year. So that's something that um, we're going to have to game out a little bit, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's definitely something that I want to have a conversation about.
0: I want to step back to think about maybe student government and student involvement a little more broadly than some of these more I guess, temporal concerns about Senate. One thing that, um, you know, has has been apparent over the last couple of weeks in particular um, is that there seems to be a lack of maybe confidence in student government to handle issues, whether it be, and, you know, the, the recent issue has been over the current senior class and the commencement speaker matter. I think there's been a lot of discontent about that, but I don't know that it's fair to say it's confined to that. I think that's, you know, the issue that has bubbled up most recently. What do you think, you know, Senate in particular, or you know, student leaders in general who are involved, whether it's in class officer roles or in senate positions, or you know, in the leaders of any major campus organizations, ought to be doing to instill more confidence in those institutions among students, and then also, um, you know, instilling respect and or consultation from administrators and faculty groups.
3: Sure, that's a great question. Um, and I think that what needs to happen is um, more outreach. And so maybe that can be kind of couched under my I- improving presence. Um, and I think that it needs to be something where um, over the last few years, the student government has maybe lost the trust or if it didn't even have the trust of a lot of different groups on campus. Um, we can't just sit in um, in cup two seven or cup two sixty, sorry, on Monday nights at seven. And say, if there's an issue, people have to come here, because if they don't feel like it's a legitimate venue to come to right now, that's not going to be an effective way to reach um, different parts of campus. And so I think we need to improve outreach. And um, something that I'm going to try to do in the fall is to have at least me, maybe the rest of exec, I I don't know, we have to talk about it more. Uh, to hold like office hours, um, to to have people come in and talk about concerns regarding Senate, um, stuff like that. Uh, A couple weeks ago, uh, Sydney Kwan kind of spearheaded in the outreach committee, the uh, Senate suggestion table in Servo, where we kind of just sat there and had people come up and give suggestions uh, for how to improve Senate and improve our um, access on campus. We need to be doing more active things to reach different parts of campus, rather than just say, we're going to sit in this room on Monday nights. And if people come, then we'll hear their concerns. But if they don't, then there are no concerns. I don't think that's a constructive way to do student government. So we need to do more things on the outreach front.
0: Um, what do you think? I mean, you, you alluded to the fact that maybe Senate has lost confidence or never had confidence over the past couple of years. I know that two years ago when you were on the, uh, I guess it was actually technically last academic year when you were on exec, there was a great energy around you know, Senate being this kind of activist body, do you think that's been lost over the past year? Or do you think that that activist body maybe never included the full campus and maybe there was just a bit of naivety and kind of the, you know, self-congratulatory, we're, we're an activist body now. And I mean, I know a lot of that came around the Hanson Hall mold debacle that, that occurred that spring. But what are your, kind of your thoughts on whether Senate ever had this confidence or, or, you know, did it lose it over the past year from something that's happened?
3: Sure, and um, I think that in large part, um, what we've done over the last few years is set, Senate like set the stage basically to get our feet under us to then become that activist body that we hope to be. Um, and I think that there are a lot of steps and improvement that we um, need to make in that respect. I think the the Hanson mold thing was was great in the sense that we got um, a lot of people that were at the time first years engaged in Senate and saying hey, there's an issue that's wide and pervasive on campus, especially among the first-year halls. Um, We see Senate as a place where we can go and and make a change. And I think that now that we've um, set up the organization, the expectation that you are supposed to come to Senate, you're supposed to come to your committee meetings, that there are consequences if you don't, I think that we've laid the infrastructure to um, serve more student concerns than we ever have been in the past, and I think that's definitely something we want to do next year.
0: So maybe as a last question, you know, we're sitting here now and geez, it's May of 2019. It's now May 2nd as we're recording this. Oh, man. Where did the time go? Uh, But if we were sitting here again in May of 2020, what would be the mark to you of a successful presidency?
3: I think that the the biggest thing for me would be that um, students feel that the student government represents them and works for them, going back to our little slogan there, Senate works for you. Um, I really want the student body and student governance in general to be viewed as legitimate um, across all parts of campus. And um, whether that be, we got that because we have a committee system that works and we iron out all the details with the BMC and everybody feels comfortable coming to meetings and speaking their mind. Um, Knowing that and for honestly, uh, as the president, I'm supposed to preside over the student Senate. I would love to sit there and just run the meeting and have the committee chairs come up with ideas and they're they're talking about ideas. We have people that are engaging the audience and I don't have to do a single thing other than run the meeting. Uh, that would make me absolutely, that would, that would be amazing. Um, and so that's what I would love to see happen next year.
0: All right, Pat McKenna, thanks so much for joining
3: us. Thanks for having me.
0: That's on target for this week. We'd like to thank Pat McKenna for being our featured guest
1: today. We'd also like to thank the staff of the Gettysburgian and the executive board of WZBT for their ongoing support in this project. Please be sure to subscribe to OnTarget on TuneIn, Stitchers, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts.
0: On target is a joint production of the Gettysburgian and WZBT. The music was composed by Diego Rocha, senior music major focusing on composition in the Sutterman Conservatory of Music. Join us next week. We'll sit down with outgoing president Janet Morgan Riggs. Have a great week.